the, the rest of us are just as excited. It's sermon time, right? All right. Hey, we're in Deuteronomy chapter 30 today. Uh, this passage is set as uh, some of the last words that Moses said to the people before they were about to go into the promised land, and he was about to die and not travel with them. So it's interesting always to hear someone's last words uh, as they have completed a lifetime of work. Let's be standing, please, as we hear this, the Word of God, as delivered to us through his faithful servant, Moses. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, and to keep his commandments, decrees, and laws. Then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away, and you are not obedient, and if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. This day I call heaven and earth as witness against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live And that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice, and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life, and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. May God bless the reading of his word. Well, I guess you know the Winter Olympics are going on, and if you're like me, you find yourself watching sports that you don't know much about, see only about once every four years, curling. (laughs) It's kind of interesting, though, is it? Why don't you sit and watch it? And You know, going down on a sled either feet first, or then they turn around and they go head first and call it two different things. Well, the other day... I was, um, we, well, the, I think it was Tuesday, wasn't it, that we were kind of iced in for a few hours, and those of us who were intelligent stayed off the roads until they melted a little bit. Anyway, I was sitting there, turned the TV on, the Olympics were on, and cross-country skiing. I mean, if that is not my passion, I don't know what is, but it's cross-country skiing, and they had the final event in the men's uh, freestyle sprint. Uh, Okay, so good. Y'all don't know how it turned out then, do you? Okay. Well, that's good. Well, let me tell you, the, the event only had six competitors in it. There was one Russian, two Norwegians, and three Swedes. They had gone through all the semis, quarters, all that, and they had narrowed it down to these six guys. And the gun went off, and they took off, and they were skiing around the course. And the race only lasted about three and a half minutes total. And for a skiing race, that's fairly short. Well, it was interesting that as they got about halfway around, which I believe this is about where that picture is, if you can count those guys, there's only five guys in that picture. Because shortly after the race started, one of the racers, one of the Swedish guys named Emil Johnson, 
or at least that's the way I say his name. <laughs> he, he dropped way back. And the commentator was going, well, he was supposed to be really good. He had had a great qualifying time. Something's wrong. By halfway through the race, Emil Johnson was 30 seconds behind the lead group. And in a race that only lasts a little over three minutes, what do you do? Got a picture of him all by himself. Here he comes. Something just wasn't going right. And the commentator even said, you know, there is no way he can catch the lead group. His race, his day is over. And when he said that, I thought, I wonder what that guy's thinking right now. I mean, he had trained for all these years. He had made it through all the the qualifying rounds, was in the finals. He was on television all over the world, millions of people watching him. And here he was 30 seconds behind. I wonder if it occurred to him to quit, just to stop. Why bother? Maybe I could sit down and act like my leg hurts or something, you know? Well, what do you do when you find yourself in that kind of situation? Well, I'll tell you what happened. They went around the last curve going into the finish line, and one of the skiers fell down, took out two of the other skiers. The top two guys went across the finish line. 30 seconds later, here came Emil. He got the bronze medal. It's interesting. I saw him interviewed after the race, and the guy asked him, he said, what were you thinking when you were 30 seconds behind halfway through this race? And he said, I have to admit, the thought of quitting occurred to me, but I decided not to. Today, that's what we want to talk about. What do you do whenever you fail, whenever things aren't going well, whenever you get so frustrated And the thought of just quitting while trying again. What do you do when it's time to make the choice? Do I keep on going? Do I get up and try again? Our text this morning addresses that very kind of choice. Choosing to try one more time, even though you failed and failed and failed. Even though... Trying again doesn't seem to be anything different. What's going to change this time? This text puts the choice out there and says, decide what you want to do. Do you want to try again? Do you want to keep on going or just give up? Now, the text is set, as I said before we read it, as the last words of Moses. Now, you know who Moses was. He had led the people of Israel out of Egypt, and he had led them around in the desert for 40 years. And if you're familiar with that story, you know that that story is filled with a lot of failures. Those people continually just fell flat on their faces. They disappointed God. They didn't do the things they were supposed to do. They lost some battles on and on for 40 years. And now it's his job to gather the people together and say, okay, guys, we're going to cross this Jordan River and we're going to go take the land that God has promised us. You can do it. I know that you have failed in the past. You have let God down. This time you can do it. Now, it's interesting that this same passage 
pops back up in the history of God's people at a different time. This became one of the favorite passages of another group of people. These were the people, several centuries later, who had failed so miserably that God had allowed the Babylonians to come in and just wipe out their land, wipe them out, take them off into captivity. And there they spent 70 years in captivity, finally settling in, making the best of a bad situation, deciding that life was life and life goes on. And all of a sudden, the cry comes out from people like Ezra, Nehemiah, Zerubbabel. I love to work his name into the conversation. Zerubbabel and Jeshua saying, come on, guys, let's go back and try again. And these words were words that they read as Moses had initially issued that same plea. Interesting thing is that a lot of the folks in Babylonia didn't go back. They had their reasons. Why try again? Let's just stay where we are. But the call of this passage comes out. Get up. Keep on trying. Keep on going. And those words come into our day as well, don't they? We also pick this passage up. And particularly those of us who have a battle in our lives that we fight on a regular basis. And so oftentimes we have to admit that we lose that battle. And sometimes wonder, are we going to try again? What's the use? What will be different this time? Or maybe it's just a general thing, an ongoing battle to stay close to God and to stay tuned into His will. And we seem to get so tired, we seem to get so distracted. What do we do? Do we keep on going? Or do we stop? That is the choice that this passage holds before us and says, today, today, you need to choose. We're going to go back and look at the entire sermon. We're not going to read the entire sermon, although I have to warn you that much of what I say today as we finish out here is just going to be reading different passages from Deuteronomy and also a couple of other places. We've been talking about the power of the Word of God the last two Sundays, so we're going to depend on that power today to maybe to reach into our hearts and to motivate us and to make us, help us to make the right choice. So we're going to back up to chapter 29. Chapters 29 and chapter 30 are the whole sermon that Moses gives to his people here uh, as he's talking to them as they're about to go in. And it's interesting that in this sermon, Moses is a, is a masterful uh, uh, speaker by this time. I know that earlier he had said, I don't know how to talk. I need someone to help me talk. And so, therefore, he had Aaron go with him. But by this time, the words that are presented here, it's just a masterful job because Moses obviously has been there himself. Moses himself had experienced failure as well. We know that if we've read the story. He knows what it's all about to maybe want to quit. Why try again? And he begins by giving or acknowledging that, you know, there are some things that really work against us whenever we're trying to do what's right and to make the right choice. One of the things that works against us is that if we have tried and failed, we've seen a lot of things. We've seen a lot of life. 
Not all of life is helpful. And yet sometimes things that we've seen, sometimes things that we've done, sometimes things that we've experienced have their own draw and their own allure. And it's hard sometimes to get those things out of our mind. For example, he says, you have seen their detestable things. This is talking to these people who once lived in Egypt and who have looked around at the lands they have traveled through. You've seen their filthy idols of wood and stone, of silver and gold that were among them. Those images are still planted in your mind. And to be quite honest, there's something about those that's pretty appealing. There's something about those that gives me comfort. There's something about those that gives me pleasure. Moses goes on to say, you know, it may be right here today among us, a man or a woman or a family or a tribe whose heart is already thinking back to some of the things we've seen, some of the things we've done. And already, even as we begin to contemplate, do we turn and go in a new direction? Our hearts are thinking about the idols and the false gods and calling us to turn away from our Lord and to serve these other gods. I want to tell you something. That's real. How do you deal with that? How do you deal with when you've seen too much and there's other voices calling to you, other ways of living that are appealing? What do you do with that? It's interesting. A lot of what we sometimes do is decide we're not going to think about that, so we think about not thinking about it. And the more we think about not thinking about it, the more we're thinking about it. What do you do? What do you do whenever this way of life that you know is not healthy, is not good, just keeps popping up within your mind? Paul had a good suggestion. I just want to take a little bit of a detour here because I think this is helpful. Philippians 4.8 is a wonderful verse to keep in our minds and in our hearts to help us whenever we have the false gods and the idols bidding us come over here and let's do this. Finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence and if there is any, anything worthy of praise, think about these things. You know, oftentimes we can't really determine how we feel, but we can always decide what we're going to think about. We can always decide where we're going to put our eyes and what we're going to do and what we're going to fill our minds with. Paul says, don't worry so much about keeping the negative things out. Spend your time putting the positive things in. Thinking about the things that need to be thought about. Thinking about the things that will bless you and bless those around you. Moses goes on. And he says, you know, another thing that we get in trouble with is that we begin to think that we can work certain behaviors into our lives and get away with it. Yeah, we've been warned that we don't need to do this, we need to do that, and that may work for everybody else, but, you know, I think I can handle this. I've talked with people with destructive patterns in their life and have actually heard them say that to me. I can handle it. 
Moses knew it. All those who hear these words and bless themselves, thinking in their hearts, oh, we're safe, even though we go our own stubborn way. Yeah, I know what you're saying, but I can really do it my way and I can work it out. I know other people have been destroyed by this way of life. Other people have found this way of life empty. I can do it. I can balance it out. I'll work it in. I've gotten away with it for years. (laughs) We'll keep it going. Moses says this kind of thinking stands in the way of making the right choice and moving on and doing the things that God wants you to do. And finally, one more that he mentions, too, is just simply the utter despair that can come in our lives sometimes if we've tried over and over and over again. And it's like the people standing there, especially those people, those exiles who had been out in Babylonia for all that time, their land had been destroyed. They look at it and say, there's nothing there. There's no going back. There is no rebuilding. There is no way that I can go back and be the person that God wants me to be. I've done too much. I've lived too much. I've been there. It's over. He says, you will see the devastation of that land and the afflictions with which the Lord has afflicted it. All its soil burned by sulfur and salt, nothing planted, nothing sprouted, unable to support any vegetation. Yeah, you look back and and it seems like the the earth has been scorched. There's just nothing to rebuild. I get frustrated sometimes with some folks that see their marriage this way. And they see it that way, way prematurely. And they look and say, there's nothing can be put back together in this marriage. We're going to have to go and do something else and do something different. Not knowing what price they're going to pay to attempt to do something different. Not knowing that things can be rebuilt. Things can be put back together. When things look totally desolate and burned and scarred, it's not always the case. God steps in and offers these encouragements. In such a situation, even though Because of these and other reasons, you may feel like giving up. One thing you need to hear from Moses, from all of Scripture, one of the key things that's always said to us through the inspired word, even though you may feel like giving up, God has not yet given up on you. He is not going to let you go. He will always give you another chance. Now, Moses is going to work through this process a little bit. Let's hear some of his words and and what he encourages. First of all, I didn't put any passages on this because it's all through the 29th, 30th, really all through the book of Deuteronomy. It's this idea of remember all he has done for you in the past. You know, we tend to focus on the negative. Um, I've used this example before, and I always get a little sympathy and everything. I'm not looking for that. But I can have five of you walk by and say, good sermon, Tommy, and have one person walk by and go, eh, Guess what I remember? Guess how I feel the rest of the day? We tend to focus on that. We tend to focus on the failures. We tend to focus on the negatives. And we we tend to focus on what hasn't gone right. And one of the things Moses says is, look back at all the things God has done for you. 
Look back at, and see that we've got to have a long memory when it comes to our interaction with God. Remember the times that you felt so low, and yet God reached down and picked you up. Remember those times you didn't think you could make it, and now looking back, you made it. And there's only one way that you made it. It's because God's hand was there to hold yours and to get you through. Think back in your life about those times that God has come and blessed you. And hold on to those and treasure and let those become your hope for now as you face your choice. He goes on to say in Deuteronomy 30, 2 and 3, that there is hope. He says, return to the Lord, your God, and you and your children obey him with all your heart, with all your soul. Then the Lord God will restore you. It is always a possibility. God will never abandon you. At any point in your life, if you reach out to him and say that I want to do it your way, I will be obedient to you. I love you with all my heart that God is there to put you back together and to put your life back together as well. Paul goes on to me, Roman, we're going to talk about Romans in a minute, it's already on my mind. Another wonderful thing about this, and this gets a little, it's like, you think, well, what will be different? Let me tell you what will be different. Because if we truly give our hearts to God, he uses kind of funny language to us here, but we know what it means. The Lord, your God, will circumcise your heart. That's mean he'll change your heart and the heart of your descendants so that you will love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, in order that you may live. God asks us for the desire to love him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength. Yeah. Deuteronomy is where all that comes from, isn't it? He asks us for the desire to do that. And he says, I will help you do it. I will change your heart. And even though right now your heart may not be where it needs to be, if you will but desire that your heart be there, and you will reach out to me and ask me to help your heart to be there, I will change your heart. The prophet Ezekiel said the same thing basically when he said, a new heart I will give you. And a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove from your body the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you. Things can be different this time. And if we come to him with a true heart, they will be different. And one more bit of encouragement, he says. In Deuteronomy 30, 11 through 14, some of the times we think that it's just too hard. It's just too far away. This all sounds nice, but I can't get there. Moses said this, The commandment that I am commanding you today is not too hard for you, nor is it too far away. Don't give me that. Don't say that it won't work for you, because it's not too hard. It's not too far away. He gives some wonderful examples. He says, it's not way up in heaven. God doesn't ask you to be Superman. He doesn't ask you to go up into heaven and get this for us so that we may hear it and observe it. You don't even have to sail across the sea. It's not way out there beyond the sea that you should say, who will cross to the other side of the sea for us and get it for us so that we can observe it. What God wants us to do is not outside of our reach. No, the word is very near to you. It is in your mouth. It is in your heart for you to observe. Paul said the same thing about the gospel. In fact, the gospel is even more alive than the word of God was given under the old law. Listen to how he takes that same passage and tells each one of us who are struggling along. The righteous that comes from, righteousness that comes from faith says this. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend up into heaven? 
We don't have to go get the Son of God. You know what? God loves us so much that he sent his Son. You don't have to go get him. You don't have to do something to get his attention. You don't have to reach up there and grab him and pull him. God sent him for you. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is, to raise Christ up from the dead. It's not up to you to raise Christ from the dead. God is not asking something that's out of your ability. What is he asking for? But what does it say? He said, the word is near you. It's on your lips. It's in your heart. That is the word of faith that we now proclaim. Because if you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be put back together. You will be restored. Don't say you can't get there from here because God is there to take you there. Moses closes that with the words of our text. And let me read just a portion of that one more time and see after we've kind of slowed down and thought about it for a while, if this plea for Moses doesn't make sense in your life as well. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I've set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Choose life. It is near. It is right next to you. If you desire, choose life. Let's stand and sing.